Hi, this is Yolanda. I'm sharing with you the memoirs of President Joseph Smith III, 1832 to 1914. And um, we're concluding chapter 10. And this is the heading of this section, The Young Missionary. Enjoy. In the fall of 1860, a semi-annual conference was called to be held October the 6th on the premises of Brother Israel L. Rogers, four and a half miles south and a little east of Sandwich. I decided to visit this conference and to go by buggy. I arranged to take with me Brother John Shippey, then living at or near Montrose. Just as I was starting, passing from the house to the vehicle, I seemed to be told by somebody or by some influence, put your extra boots into the buggy. I turned back into the house and heeded the premonition, though without any well-defined reason for doing so. My horse was young and we travelled leisurely, taking lunch by the wayside and intending to stop for the night wherever its shades overtook us. Over first, sorry, let me start again. Our first stop was at the home of my father's youngest sister, Lucy, and her husband, Arthur Millican, who, with their family, lived near Colchester. The second night, we reached the house of a farmer named Vincent, with whom Elder Shippey was acquainted. They had been associated in preaching for the Christian church, for Brother Shippey had affiliated himself with that group after the death of Strange and the dispersion of the followers from Beaver Island and Waterbury. Mr Vincent had married a widow who owned an excellent farm. She had a daughter, nearly grown, and another child, some 11 or 12 years old, at the time of our visit. As we neared the farm, Brother Shippey suggested that we stay overnight with this family, feeling sure that they would give us a welcome, so we stopped. However, the news that he had joined the Mormons had reached the family before we did, and Mrs Vincent was apparently already quite prejudiced against him, as events will show. We drove up to the door. Brother Shippey alighted and went into the house. He found no one there except the daughter, who, as soon as he spoke to her, darted out of the back door, down the hill and into a meadow, where the farmer, his wife and other members of the family were engaged in boiling sorghum molasses. Brother Shippey followed her while I waited at the stile which served for a gate, my horse standing at the hitching post nearby. From where I stood, I could see that a long and excited conversation was taking place at the fire where the kettles were. Finally, the women and the girl the woman and the girl, came to the house together, followed shortly by the farmer and elder Shippey, engaged in earnest conversation. The woman looked angry and taciturn. Her husband, speaking with some irritation, told elder Shippey to drive in that the corn and hay were his anyway, and that he intended we should have what we needed and be cared for. In response to the invitation, without asking the cause for the delay, I drove in. My horse was tired, it was already sundown, and we were still some little distance south of the town of Berwick, where we might have secured hotel lodgings, had we been obliged to go on. Having heard the farmer's remark about the corn and hay, I surmised we were not wholly welcome. 
This surmise was changed with certainty a little later when the family prepared and ate their evening meal, for we were left sitting outside supperless. We learned what the trouble was. The woman was angry, the girl frightened and the man nervous over how his standing in the Christian church might be affected should it become known that he had harboured Mormons. I told Brother Shippy I would rather drive on to Berwick and stay all night there under the circumstances, but he was not. But he was decided. He had known the man a good while, had been welcomed at his house and shared its hospitality while he was with the Christian church, and felt that there was no just reason why he should be denied that friendly shelter now. So I consented to leave the situation to Brother Shippy to manage. About bedtime, the man showed us to an upstairs room where we could sleep and we went to sleep tired and hungry after retiring we could hear a lively conversation going on below though not distinctly enough to do other than conjecture as to its nature i slept but little it was my first experience away from home in seeking as a preacher the hospitality of people along the road we were supposed to be without purse or scrip though I had not yet entered the itinerant field so far that I had no money at all with me. Whether Elder Shippey also had a little or not, I do not know. In the morning, we arose early. I proposed to hitch up and drive for breakfast to the town of Berwick, about three and a half miles further. But no, Elder Shippey was determined that his former friends should exhibit a fairer degree of hospitality and would not consent to my plan. Here Mr Vincent engaged in, com in a conversation which seemed cordial enough, but the lady and her daughter moved about the house in silence. The woman with dark and ominous countenance. Finally, the farmer invited us to sit down to breakfast with them, which invitation we accepted, and soon the six of us were seated at the table, the farmer, his wife, her two children, Elder Shippy and myself. Mr Vincent asked Elder Shippy to offer the blessing upon the food. He complied, but enlarged upon the opportunity to include an earnest prayer for those who dwelt there, especially asking that the woman's heart might be touched with the love of the Spirit, and that she be relieved from her fear of evil which held her in bondage and prevented her from being charitable to those who had need, and so on. It was the first time I had heard a reproof offered <laughs> in a prayer in that manner. And I was not a little fearful that Elder Shippy might be carrying it too far. But neither the woman nor the man appeared to resent what he said. The food was, the food was excellent, well cooked and plenty of it and we ate heartily. I went out and got my horse and buggy ready while Elder Shippy talked with Mr Vincent. When I returned I found the woman still sitting at the table in the living room. She had eaten slowly and was evidently being somewhat exercised by a degree of remorse for the course she had pursued. Approaching her, I took out my purse, and as I extracted some money therefrom, spoke quietly to her, apologising for having ventured upon her hospitality. I told her Elder Shippy had spoken so kindly of them, and had been so confident that we, we would be well received, that I had allowed him to persuade me to stop. I assured her I would have driven on to Bar Berwick the night before, had it not been for the fact that my horse was young and was very tired having already come quite a distance. I stated that I was not used to receiving anything from anyone without giving a proper remuneration um, for it, and so speaking, I laid two dollars and a half upon the table.
To my surprise, the woman burst into tears and began to apologise for her rudeness and her neglect to give us something to eat the night before. She did not, however, refuse to take the money I placed upon the table, though what disposition was made of it I do not know. As we left, Mr Vincent assured us we were welcome to what he had done for us. And for one, I was grateful to him, for I certainly had fed my horse well, both night and morning, and so we proceeded upon our journey. Elder Shippy, I discovered, was greatly surprised and considerably mortified that he had been so mistaken when he assured me this farmer would give us cordial welcome. I did not tell him until we had travelled some little distance on our way that I'd left money there. He was sorry I'd done so, for I felt I had simply done what was right under the circumstances and that the amount was only what would reimburse her for what i at least had received and for what my horse had eaten we passed through several villages and after a time reached the home of elder xenos h Gurley senior a few miles beyond galsberg there we were made welcome indeed and met the members of his family who were at home including the sons xenos jr and edwin there was a small branch there known as the Henderson Grove Branch, which included in its membership a number of saints of the old stock. There were Charles Brown and his wife, a family named Cook, the composed sorry <laughs> um composed of father, mother and two or three daughters, Harvey Strong and a number of others. It had been our intention to accompany Elder Gurley to the conference, but we found him apparently unprepared. He had a little work he felt it necessary to do, and so we stayed on with him through the day following our arrival, conversing with him freely about the gospel and the work we had in mind to do. Feeling we could not stay longer, on the second morning we prepared to proceed on the journey. In talking with Brother Gurley, I, um, I soon discovered that the real reason he was hesitating about going was he had not suitable shoes. He showed me what footwear he possessed, which were so worn he was practically barefoot. Well, Brother Gurley, I said, if you were supplied with a pair of boots and your expenses paid on the way, would you then be able to go with us? Receiving an affirmative answer, I said, well then, get your horse and buggy ready, for I have the boots. If you remember, he was impressed to put extra boots in the buggy. And there is the answer. Opening my satchel, I took out the extra pair of boots I had brought with me and put them upon my feet, giving Brother Gurley the better and stronger pair I had been wearing. We found they fitted him splendidly. He made ready his horse and buggy and went with us to the conference. En route, I pondered deeply over the strange experience about the boots and marvelled at its provisions. Afterwards, I learned to recognise the voice which had spoken to me, for it is one I have heard many times since in my life as the voice of prophecy or presence or prescience of events to come. Just where we spent the night after leaving Brother Gurley's, I do not clearly clearly remember but the journey was a very pleasant one and we reached the scene of the conference sometime during the second day thereafter.
the next um, subject heading. First full conference. Preparations for the conference had been adequately made and completed and the session seemed a notable one for me for I was formally inducted into the presiding chair for the second time and felt a great responsibility settle down upon my shoulders. The conference was composed of brethren gathered from all over the country. The minutes show that on the first day speeches were made by brethren Blair, Gurley, Blakesley and myself. Here I met for the first time brother Isaac Sheen. He had been among those who at Amboy in the spring had avowed themselves of the privilege of rebaptism. At this fall meeting he testified as did brother William Leonard and wife O.P. Dunham and others that the promise made at the baptism i.e. that an added portion of the Holy Spirit that was received at the first baptism should be granted to them had been abundantly fulfilled in his case and great blessings had followed his labours and ministry. Quite a number of notable persons who were members in Father's Day were present, whom I met for the first time. Among these was Ezra Thayer, whose name is mentioned in connection with that of Northrop Suite in a revelation given in October 1830. Like hundreds of others, other scattered saints, he had settled down in isolation to await what development time should bring. Archibald M. Wilsey was another I was glad to meet. He had been associated with Elder William Marks in the branch in northern New York, over which the latter presided. Sometime before the death of the leaders, he later settled on a farm in northern Illinois with and with his family had remained steadfast in the faith under the ministry of Elder Blair and others who laboured in that neighbourhood. They had all united with the reorganisation. Um, there is a little um, title saying correction. There was um, in a previous episode. I couldn't read the year, and it had been printed incorrectly. And this little um, addition it says a correction in the instalment of April the second, page four hundred thirty-three. A very obvious. The inaccurate date should be corrected to the left column, 18 lines from the bottom. The reading in 1865 should be according to the manuscript in 1856. So that's when two men from the reorganised Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints first um, visited Joseph Smith III, but he turned them down and, and turned them away. Um, anyway, let me continue. Um, Brother Rogers' farm, where the conference was held, was located on Fox River, a few miles from Millington, Georgetown, and that section of country known as Mission in La Salle County, south and west of Ottawa. It was a region in which George A. Smith and William O. Clark had laboured extensively in the early days of the church and where a great many brethren from New York State had brought farms um, and settled down. 
at the dispersion from Nauvoo, these men refused to accept Brigham Young as president, denied allegiance to the doctrine of spiritual wifery and other innovations, and patiently waited for the glad news of the reorganisation. The spirit of revelation has been with them, both men and women receiving encouragement in that manner. When Elder Blair first visited them, he was reorganised at once by several who had... Sorry, <laughs> obviously I've said the wrong word there. When Elder Blair first visited them, he was recognised at once by several who had seen him in vision and they readily accepted him as a messenger of the gospel renewed to them. Goodman Hogas, Christian Heyer, Hans Heyer and Oliver Heyer with their families, a band of thrifty, industrious farmers were occupying in one of the richest localities in the state of Illinois. They united with the church and now helped to form the considerable body of people who assembled at this fall conference. The elders at work in their fields had diligently spread the acceptable news that my mother and I had connected ourselves with the movement. Feeling a little bit emotional again. <laughs> so that there was quite a bit of excitement, excited interest all over northern Illinois. The entire state of Iowa and a large portion of Wisconsin, into all of which regions many hundreds of saints had scattered after the dispersion at Nervo. We began to try to meet more fully the disciplinary organization of the church it was decided to ordain some members into the quorum of 12 but having no specific direction by revelation as to who should be chosen for this office the conference resorted to its privilege under the law of precedence and appointed a committee of well-known spiritually minded men whose duty should be to select by the voice of such inspiration as should come to them those who should be chosen and ordained to the apostolic office this committee chose elders john shippey james h blakesey and edmund c briggs all of whom were members of the church in father's time and had received authoritative ordinations to the offices held by them at the time of the prophet's death this gave us a working majority in the quorum and it was deemed well that we proceed under this partial organization until some time as necessity wisdom or divine instructions should call for further effort in this direction it should be mentioned perhaps that the other members of the quorum of the twelve were jason w briggs senos h Gurley, senior samuel powers and w w blair one little experience at this meeting made a strong impression upon me one afternoon brother rogers came to me with the information that a gentleman desired to see me i stepped outside to where he was standing in the doorway and introduced to me um, he was a Baptist minister located somewhere in the neighbourhood. He seemed a pleasant enough man, but evidently one who had not the knack of adapting himself courteously to situations in which he found himself. He was apt to do and say things that had an unfortunately unpleasant effect upon others. Upon this occasion, he looked me over from head to foot with a supercilious expression such as I had already encountered a few times and came to recognise often later and blurted out, Well, I confess I am greatly disappointed. How so, sir? I asked. He put his thumb 
in the armhole of his vest, turned his head to one side and said, I've always wanted to see a prophet. I've had peculiar ideas about them and have often wished I might have lived in the days they existed and permitted and been permitted to talk with them. But now I must confess I am disappointed. It was the manner of the man and his attitude more than what he said that was irritating and insulting, for he had not waited to develop any conversation or to try me out intellectually or in any other way before passing his verdict. I suppose so, I answered. We often form our, notion, our notions of men of the past and doubtless think of prophets as men of peaceful aspect, spending their lives in meditation and retirement or wandering about clothed in long flame robes with girdles about their middles. He looked a bit startled, but I continued gazing squarely into his eyes. I must say I am sorry, sir, that you are disappointed in me, but I cannot see that I am responsible for that. I am as God made me. It may be a pity that I am not a handsomer man for your special gratification, sir. His countenance fell. He saw that he had missed his cue. As the saying is, he went away and told later that he had never been so insulted in all his life. I had no intention of insulting him, but... <laughs> Sorry, I have to laugh. I had no intention of insulting him, but his tone and manner had that air of assumed super superiority that my spirit ill can brook it made me think of what must have been in the mind of the man of the olden scriptural days who said go stand aside for i am holier than thou to me this was insufferable i may have been lacking in worldly experience and polished finesse that might have permitted me to treat the over-curious man a bit more cleverly and courteously but at that time I still had many, many lessons to learn. After the session adjourned, several of us arranged to meet to our... I'll start again. After the session adjourned, several of us arranged to return to our respective homes, tra travelling part way in company. Brother Gurley to Henderson Grove, Brother Shippy and myself to Nauvoo and Montrose, and Brother John Landers for a way. He was a Scots Canadian whom I had met for the first time, but one who proved a very staunch uh, supporter of our cause. I do not remember any special incident of our journey until we paused at Kiwani, where we met the families of a number of English and Welsh brethren who worked in the mines there. Among them were John Chisnell and his wife, William Griss and wife, Joseph Boswell and wife, John D. Jones and family, and perhaps others. Proceeding, we again reached Henderson Grove, where Brother Shippy and I stayed for a few days, making our home with Brother Jacob Brown, who lived a short distance from Brother Gurley. We visited a number of families, and I preached a time or two in the neighbourhood. I was particularly glad to have a visit with brother Harvey Strong whom I remembered as the farmer in charge of the church farm at Kirtland. Brother Shippy and I would walk together from one brother's house to another and on the way would have long talks about the work and our various experiences and ideas. He told me of several theories which were held under the administration of James J. Strong, the leader who had started a movement at Varee 
Wisconsin and later drifted to Beaver Island in Lake Michigan where he was shot in 1856 and so severely wounded that he soon died at Burlington, Wisconsin to which place he had been removed. I have mentioned him before. Among the theories held and taught under his leadership was one concerning the nativity of Jesus which differed from the narrative given by Matthew it denied the Immaculate Conception and substituted, therefore, a natural birth, supplemented by an adoption by God because of his faith. I had accepted the Bible, which included the New Testament, and had read the accounts of Jesus given in the Book of Mormon and Book of Covenants. In thinking over the matter in the light of these new-to-me theories, I was fully convinced that no defence of the Christianity of the New Testament could successfully be made by men who presumed to interpret that which was plainly written as meaning something far different from what was conveyed by the words in which the statements were made. I therefore told Elder Shippey that when I decided to accept any other theory about the conception of Jesus than that given by Matthew, I would be ready to abandon the whole plan of salvation as taught in the scriptures. I added that I felt it was my duty as an officer of the church to teach only that which was clearly stated and that I should expect every other officer to do the same thing. I never learned just how far Elder Shibby had become involved in the teachings and practices of the group under Strange, but I know that he rejected the theory of polygamy when it was introduced and had separated himself from all bodies that taught it. He had held himself ready to unite with that movement for reorganisation which was based upon the original authority of the angelic message. I found him to be a ready reasoner and possessed of a wonderfully tenacious memory for scripture. This showed he had made the sacred books a serious study and I must and I much enjoyed the many seasons of pleasant and profitable conversation we had. He was a dentist of sorts and worked at this prof uh, profession whenever there was an opportunity for it where he laboured. In this way, he was for some time practically self-sustaining in his ministry. On the way home, after saying goodbye to Brother Gurley and his family, we again passed the house of Mr Vincent, where we had spent the second night out. This time, we stopped only long enough for Brother Shippey to pay his respect. The last night of the journey we spent at the home of Uncle Arthur at Colchester and finally reached Familiar, Father of Waters, at Montrose and Nauvoo. I'm going to leave that there and continue the chapter in the next episode. Thank you for listening.